Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Freedom House, y'all look great today. Look at your neighbors, say summer looks good on you. Summer looks really good on you. You look extra cute. Look at your other neighbors, say thank you for taking a shower today. You smell extra nice today. Hey, my name is Troy Maxwell. My wife and I are the senior pastors here. I wanna give it up for all of our live streamers. Come on, let's give it up for them. We got North Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, California, Connecticut, Guatemala, and I was looking on my Instagram right before I got up here. I got an Instagram message from Tanzania. They want us to start a campus there. So um, if you're interested, just meet me in the lobby after the service. And uh, <laughs> I'm joking. I'm so, sorry. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'd love to come there you know, if we can make a way. But that's a long commute. Um, the teaching team, I don't know if we could do that or not. So um, I, uh, we're, in, we're in a series called Dog Days of Summer. A few weeks ago, I was just finished a round of golf. And some of my friends, we were all sitting having a... Um, having some, some lunch, talking about stuff. And one of the guys brought up, if you were to able to go back in time and meet anybody, who would you sit down and talk to? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever made a list of the people that you would go back and talk to? Well, people brought up um, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, uh, Abraham Lincoln. One guy said Hitler. I don't know about all that. Um, I think he's still alive. But anyway, him and Elvis. Um, I'm a Bible guy, so I immediately went to the Bible, and I thought about the biblical guys that I would meet, okay? Have you ever thought about that? Well, first guy that I'd love to meet, Elijah. I love Elijah. I think Elijah is one of the coolest prophets to ever live. I mean, he ran faster than the fastest chariot. He called down fire out of heaven. He killed 850 prophets of Asherah and Baal. He made it stop raining for three years. He made it start raining after three years. I mean, the guy was a legend. I love David, King David, pretty amazing. Wouldn't you agree, David? I mean, that guy was one of the best kings ever. He, um, the thing I love about David is the fact that he was able to rebound after failure. I love that fact. He messed up. We all mess up. Anybody mess up this week? Come on, raise your hand. How, how many of y'all messed up on the way to church today? Raise your hand. About three of you did. All right. <laughs> um, the last person that I would like to meet, if I were just to say three, would be Peter. Peter. And probably not for the reasons that you think. 
Uh, I'm not a cusser. My wife is. Um, but uh, no, that's not true, actually. She, she is not, she's not a cusser. <laughs> um, I'm not either, in Jesus' name. I love Peter because Peter, if you remember the first time that Peter met Jesus, you remember that conversation that they had? Peter was just finished fishing. He didn't catch anything. Jesus is preaching, and he says, I need to borrow your boat. Remember that story? It's Luke chapter 5. And so Jesus gets in Peter's boat. Peter probably didn't want to do it, but he didn't realize that this was destiny. This was his moment. This was the change of his life was going to happen right then. And so he gets in the boat. He kind of, you know, shivers away, shimmies away from the, from the shore. Jesus preaches. When Jesus is done, the Bible says that Peter dropped down to his knees and says, man, I'm not worthy for this. Like, I, I, there's no way that I should even be in this boat. And Jesus said to him, hey, hey, Peter, you know, you used to be a fisherman, but I'm going to make you fisher of men. And then three years later, think about it, from I'm not worthy, three years, Jesus is raised from the dead, and he stands up. Peter, the first spirit-filled message, preaches a message, and, and 3,000 people get saved. He went from I'm, I'm not worthy to it shall come to pass in the last days. I love that transition. It's amazing what can happen in three years. It's amazing what can happen in three months. It's amazing what can happen in three weeks. What I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about your journey. Um, when we think about summer, oftentimes we think about relaxing. We think about vacation. But what if we were to put a little bit more effort and energy into our relationship with God? What if we were to go to a what I like to call an HNL, whole nother level. My friend Pastor Ed says that. It, I don't know where he got the H from, but HNL. Look at your neighbor. Point at him, say, whole nother level, whole nother level. What if we wanted to go up? Now, here's what I know. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking like, okay, so what does that mean to me? Well, let's look at what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. He wrote two books in the New Testament, I would say that he's doing okay. It says, this letter is from Simon Peter, a loving servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I am writing to those who have been given a faith as equally as precious as ours. I love that. That we've been given faith. All of us have faith. Faith to overcome. Faith to do what's necessary. Faith to fulfill the promise that God has given us. Faith to walk out our destiny. Equally precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May, may grace, verse 2, and perfect peace cascade over you as you live in the rich knowledge of God and of our Lord. Look at verse 3. This is, I love this part. He says, everything. Everybody say everything. One more time. Say it again. Say everything. Now, let me tell you something. The reason I get you to do that, if you're kind of new to Freedom House, the reason I get you to say something back is because the, I believe the greatest faith you'll ever speak is what comes out of your own mouth. And so if I can get you to repeat a couple things, and maybe tomorrow you're thinking about, man, this job sucks, and you go, oh, everything. God's given me everything. It'll just help you remember something. That's why I just want to throw that in there, just in case you're like, why is he getting me to repeat? I'm not in third grade. All right. Everything, come on, say it again, say everything. We could ever need for life, watch this, Everything we could ever need for life 
and complete devotion to God has already been deposited, has already been deposited in us by his divine power. Okay, notice what he says. He says, everything you'll ever need for both parts of your life, because I think sometimes we kind of we compartmentalize God into the Sunday church hour and 15 minutes by spiritual life, but God is telling us right here that not only has he given us uh, everything we need for our spiritual life, which would be complete devotion, but also our regular life, our natural life. So how you deal with race relationships, how you deal with money, how you deal with your job, how you deal with your family, how you deal with your neighborhood, how you deal with that boss you don't like, all of that stuff. God has given you the ability, what's necessary, everything lives on the end. It's already been deposited in you. And the devotion side of it, the stuff that's in you, the wrestling matches we have with God, the, the, the spiritual challenges that we face, the prayer requests that we deal with, all of that stuff has all been dealt with. Everything we could ever need, that means in the future, you can expect God to meet every need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by his divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by his name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness, who's Jesus, by the way. Can we give Jesus a big hand clap? Thank God for Jesus. Verse four, as a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises you can experience partnership with the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. Okay, so if everything has been deposited in us, then I have the capacity to go to another level. I have the capacity in me to go to another level. Now, when you think about this, I want you to get beyond um, what is maintenance Christianity, okay? Reading your Bible. Okay, that's, we talk about that a lot, and it's very important. Matter of fact, today, 2021, I don't think you could live your life without the Bible. Every day, you need to be reading the Bible. Every day, you need to be reading the Bible. Get in the Word. Spend time with God. Matter of fact, if you're listening, if you want to hear God's voice, best way to do it, read the Bible. He's got, you know, 66 books of messages to you and I that we can hear. Prayer, spending time with God, talking to God, asking him questions, waiting for a response. That's very important. Community, spending time with other people, life groups, pop-up parties, authentic. Go, ladies. Whoop, whoop. I mean, all that stuff. Amazing stuff that you can do. I mean, all the hats and stuff y'all were wearing. I mean, y'all got hats going on. Uh, serving. Church, these are all non-negotiables. But what does it take to go to the next level? See, evangelism flourishes the more difficult and countercultural we make the Christian journey, not the other way around. See, I think a lot of people think, well, if I lower the bar, then it's gonna make it easier for people. No, 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 no. What happens is when you raise the bar, people step up to it. I've been pastoring for almost 30 years now. That's what I find. Matter of fact, when I lower the bar, it's like, it's people kind of shy away from it. But when you raise the bar, people get saved. You, you, you see people getting their life right for God. They, you see people going to a, a whole nother level. So what we want to talk about is how do I go from believer to disciple? From fellowship to discipleship. From taking a seat 
to taking a stand? How do I go to a whole nother level? So I talked to some friends of mine, four people I talked to, a NASCAR driver. I talked to a, a Fortune 100 CEO. I talked to a friend of mine who plays tennis. He's a professional tennis player and an NFL quarterback. And I said, so what is it that helped you? Because the, all those people that I talked to, they've reached the pinnacle of their career, their job. Okay, NASCAR driver, I, I don't mean you, you're driving. You don't learn how to drive when you get into NASCAR. Okay, You've already, you already know how to drive at a very high level. You're not trying to learn how to throw the football when you are an NFL quarterback. Are you with me? So they've mastered the reading my Bible, prayer, community serving, those kind of things. But they, they're, they've taken it to a whole different level, which is time for the church to go up a level. It's time for us to take a little bit more of a stand, to take a little bit stronger stand. To be able to, to, to raise the bar in our family, raise the bar in our neighbor, neighborhood, raise the bar in our nation. Are you with me? And so it starts with us. We can't expect everybody else to do it. Well, you know, Pastor Troy, he's the one that's going to do it. No, no, it's for all of us. So I talked to the NASCAR driver. He said, he said, there's a couple things that I had to master. Number one is I had to master car control and handling. And this is the big thing, being able to relay what that feels like to the team members. So in the pit, now I don't know a lot about NASCAR. Matter of fact, I've never been to a race before. Isn't that terrible? I mean, I asked this guy, I said, when are you going to invite me? You're like, what's up with that? See, it's one thing to be able to drive the car. It's another thing to be able to share that with your team so that when you come into the pit, they're able to tweak your car so you can win the race. The other thing he said is you got to have really good leadership in, in the background so that when you're driving, doing your job, there are great leaders that are doing what's necessary where nobody can see so that when you win, those leaders are the ones that are recognized. I asked the, the quarterback, I said, so what, what helped you get to this level? He said, I had to master leadership. Now, this was really interesting to me because he said that not just leading the team in the sense of I'm the quarterback, I call the plays. He says, I need to be able to get the guys that are on the team to want to win. Because a lot of guys are just there to get a paycheck. So you got 10 guys that he plays with and 11 guys on the other side, the defense, that he's got to motivate as a leader. That's a big deal. He had to master that. He also had to master the offensive playbook. He said, man, I studied that offensive playbook. Why? I said, why did you study it so much? He said, because I wanted to know at, at any given second what I needed to do in order to win. Let me ask you, we have a playbook. It's called the Bible. You know it? We need to know it. We need to know it. He said, he said the last thing he says, I got to understand defensive coverages. So when he walked up to the line of scrimmage, he had to know, be able to just glance out and be able to see, oh, this guy's going to do this, this guy's going to do that, that guy's going to do this, and so I might need to change the play or I might need to alter this. Powerful. Business owner, I asked him, I said, what, what took you to a billion-dollar organization? He said, I had to maintain a humble spirit. No, it is God who gave me the skills that put me where I am today. CEO, billion-dollar business. He said, I needed to surround myself with people who would cover my weak spots. Master it. I thought it was amazing that he, that he admitted the fact that he had weak spots and that he would staff those weak spots, which I think is really good. He said he needed to focus on the success of others rather than on himself. Really good. Last one. And follow up. I'm going somewhere with this, so just watch this. 
the professional tennis player. At one time, he was, I think, ranked in the top ten in the world. He said, number one, he said, I had to learn how to sacrifice. I said, what does that mean? He says, I had to learn how to miss out on certain things in order to be, to work out and practice. Wow. So that means he had to give up things in order to be where he was today. How many people are not willing to give up things in order to get where they need to get? He said, I had to learn how to be humble. In other words, he said, I had to learn how to deal with losing. He said, because you're gonna lose a lot. There are a lot of good tennis players out there. And if you can't bounce back from a loss, then you shouldn't even be in uh, playing tennis. And the last thing he says, he's, I had to mature. I had to grow up fast. Okay, so what is, how does that affect me? I want to share four things with you that we need to master in order to, to go HNL. Look at your neighbor. Say HNL, HNL, HNL. I want you to write these down. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to look at all four of these and go, you know what? The next the whole month I'm going to devote four. I'm going to devote time to four. No, I want you to devote one thing. I'm going to give you four. I want you to look at one because here's what I believe. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you about one thing that you need to master by the end of the summer. Dog days of summer, let's master one of these things. Write it down. Number one is I need to master the weight. The weight. Waiting is very hard. A month ago, I was with my daughter. My middle daughter called me on the telephone and says, I don't feel good. I need you to take me to the doctor. And I said, well, you don't live here anymore. Seriously, like she called me and was like, I need you to take me to the doctor. But that's what dads do. Dads take their daughters to the doctor even if they don't live with them. So I took her to the doctor. It was a Saturday and I knew, crap, man, this is going to be an all-day affair. But, you know, I'm just thinking sacrifice, Troy. Love your kids even if, you know, you don't have to. She's married now. I'm like, you know, where's your husband anyway? <laughs> and so... So I take her to an urgent care because it's a Saturday and you can't get an appointment. So we walk in, talk to the young lady. She didn't really seem like very excited that we were there. How many of y'all know what that feels like? And, and I, I, we started to describe what was going on. And she goes, well, um, take a seat. It's going to be two and a half hours. And so we did what any red-blooded American would do. We walked out. <laughs> right? Because nobody wants to wait. For two and a half hours for anything. However, I did find online, you can Google time waits at urgent cares. Come on, Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit. I mean, we, we pulled it up. Within a 50-mile radius, you can look at the wait times at any urgent care. So we found one within like three or four miles at 15 minutes, and we went. Why? Because I... And you, I hate to wait. When the doctor says be there at six, he shouldn't be, I should be. Why do I have to wait for him? He's the one that set the appointment. No offense, doctors. I know, I know. Please don't get mad at me. Don't send me an email. If you're going to send it, sblanton at freedomhouse.cc. All right. <laughs> In 1 Samuel chapter 14, Samuel was the prophet, Saul was the first king. Let me say it again. Samuel was the prophet, he was the priest, Saul was the king. Samuel told Saul to go and wipe out the Amalekites. Destroy them all, get rid of them. 
okay? Because they had basically uh, held, held the Israelites back when they were passing through the wilderness. And so, so Saul goes in. He doesn't necessarily do it all. He kind of wipes out most of them, except he keeps the good, you know, all the good livestock, and he keeps the king. And Samuel said, wait seven days. How many days? Seven days. Just seven days. One week. Just wait for me one week. You do this, Saul. Wait seven days, not seven weeks, not seven months, not seven years, not seven decades, but seven days. And then I'm going to show up and we're, everything's going to be okay. Saul doesn't do it. The seventh day in the morning, he gets real antsy. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And he sacrifices, basically what he does is he acts like a priest when he's supposed to be a king. Now catch this here, because this is what happened when we decide not to wait on God. We get out of our position to try to fulfill something that God is intended to fulfill. So we jump out of being who we are, he was supposed to be the king, wait seven days for the priest to do the sacrifice and he decides to do the sacrifice, which is the job of the priest. All he had to do was wait. How many days? Seven days. We all have to wait. In order to go HNL, fellowship to discipleship, believership to discipleship, we have to be able to wait. Wait on what? I don't know. That's up to you. What are you waiting on right now? Maybe you're waiting on the right, right man. Because if, if, you, if you don't decide to wait and get the wrong one, that's, that's bad. That's problems, y'all. I counsel a lot of people have some problems because they married the wrong person. You got to wait. How many? Seven days. Maybe seven weeks. Maybe seven months. Maybe seven years. Who knows? Because waiting has kingdom implications. Your weight affects a lot more people than you. Wait for what? Wait for the answer. Wait for the person. Wait for the miracle. Wait for the promise. Wait on the job. Wait on the money. Wait on God. Sometimes you just gotta wait. And you gotta master that. Wait till when? I don't know. You gotta be okay with that. See, waiting is working out your hope. That's what waiting is. Hope is the confident expectation of good. God says he's gonna do it, when? I don't know, I know he's gonna do it, period. End of discussion, I'll wait, how long? Well, if I need to go to heaven, I'll go to heaven. I'm just gonna wait. I'm not gonna give up on God for the sake of the wait. I'm not gonna give up on the promise because I need to wait. I'm not gonna give up on what, I'm not gonna settle. I'm not gonna lower my expectations because I have to wait. I, I'm gonna have to wait. We're all gonna have to wait. I'm not a good waiter. I, I'm, I'm a ter I'm patience, non-fruit of the spirit, last one in the line for me. I'm terrible at waiting. Somebody asked me a long time ago, what would you go back and tell your 25-year-old self? Learn how to wait. That's why it's number one on my list right here. That's why I'm spending the majority of time on this one because this is the one I need to learn the most. Wait, sometimes you gotta wait. You gotta you got just press pause and go, okay, I'm comfortable here in the waiting room. I'm okay to work it out. What does it mean to wait? 
It's the God kind of waiting is in readiness and expectation. You're in anticipation. God, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Today could be the day. What if it's not? Well, then tomorrow's the day. What if it's not? Well, then tomorrow's the day. Well, if it's not, what if the tomorrow's the day? Because I'm okay with waiting because I want what's best for me. And I, got, I know God has it for me. Psalms chapter 27, verse 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall, they shall walk and not faint. Lamentations 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. You ever seen those little pop-up timers that go in turkeys? You know, when you put the turkey in the oven, you, you know, cook it for three, four, five hours, and then all of a sudden, you know, that thing pops out, and then you can eat the turkey. Well, the reason why that works is because the thermometer goes down deep inside of the turkey. And it measures the temperature inside of the turkey. See, what happens with people is often they're waiting. They, are, they, get, they get frustrated with God because they want him to fulfill the desires of their heart, but they're not fully cooked. They're not fully cooked. And so they're waiting for the to happen, but it's not, you're not ready for the promise. Come on, H&L, whole nother level. I got to master the weight. Everybody say the weight. Number two, write this one down. I got to master the weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. I got to master the weight. I got to master the weight. Understand, we all carry something. I want you to sit up in your seat for a second. Just sit up. Get that posture like grandma used to say. Sit up straight, son. Sit up straight. Because I want you to know something. I want you to know something. I want you to know that God puts you on this planet for such a time as this. The reason why we're facing all this opposition, everything that's going on in America, racially, socially, politically, all this stuff is because God put us here for such a time as this. This is an opportunity for you. This is, this is your moment. God puts you in that family on purpose. God puts you in that job on purpose. God puts you in that neighborhood on purpose. God puts you in this church on purpose. God birthed you at the right time under the right situations because God, God has enough in you so that you can, you were born for such a time as this. You are the Esther generation. You carry something that people are going to look back and go, oh my gosh, look what they accomplished in 2021, 2022, 2023. You're following me. You're the Esther generation. You're the one that God called. Why? Because you carry something. You have to master the weight. I was talking to this girl recently. She's a teacher in Mecklenburg County Public Schools, and she was really upset. She, we were having lunch, and a big group of people, and we were talking about the problems that she's dealing with in the Mecklenburg County Schools. And she was like, you know, I'm a teacher. I've been there for 17 years. And another teacher down, down the hall from me is a pronounced lesbian. And she's signing all of her letters with her pronouns to everybody. Not just the teachers, but also the students. And she says, I'm really frustrated because these kids are not meant to be dealing with this right now. Are you following me? 
we have to push back against that stuff. And she says, what should I do, Pastor? I said, well, first of all, I don't understand pronouns. My name is Troy. I'm a noun. I don't understand all the pronouns. Don't get it. I understand. I know I understand that, but there's no reason why we should push that on our kids. There's no reason why a, a seven-year-old should make a decision on whether they should be male or female. That's just, you're born male or female. That's how God created you. That's it. Are you, are you with me? But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. When I was talking to her, I said, well, you have a decision to make. You have a decision. Because if you do something about it, if you stand up, you're probably going to lose your job. You're probably going to lose your friends. She says, well, man, that's tough. And I said, yeah, it is. I said, now the other option is not to do anything. And I don't think, I don't think God's going to be upset with you. Like you're not going to lose your salvation because of that decision. I said, however, could it be that God is presenting you with this opportunity? See, I call this a burden. This is your burden. See, what is the weight that we have to master, you have to, you have to master your burden. We all have been given one. How do I know what my burden is? My burden is the thing that makes me angry, the things that makes me passionate. See, as, as human beings, we typically get the order out. We want vision before burden. But let me tell you how God works. God always gives you a burden before he gives you a vision. Always. We want to know what the next step is, the trajectory of my life. But God says, no, no, I'm going to drop something on you. Like for Nehemiah, it was a wall in a city they had never been to before. So he was, he was sent to Jerusalem to build a wall. He, had, he didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He grew up in, in, in slavery in Babylon. Are you following me? But God put in his heart a burden for a city he had never been to. Passionate. How do you know what your burden is? What makes you mad? You watch it on television. Ooh, I just want it to stop. Mm. You see something happen to somebody. Oh, they need, they need justice. You see somebody hurt. Oh, I need, I need to fix this. That's your burden. It could be something good. It could be something bad. It depends upon you. I don't know what your burden is. Guess what? I can't tell you what your burden is. But that's the weight that you carry. That's the weight that you carry. And here's the great thing about it. God never leaves you to carry it all by yourself. See, Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, come to me, all those that are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. In other words, Jesus says, hey, hey, I'm going to give you the burden, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to help you carry it. We carry the anointing. We carry legacy. If you have kids, man, incredible You've been given an incredible legacy. Your kids, they're called arrows. Did you know that? Your kids, they're not yours. Mm -mm, they're not yours. They're God's given to you to steward between zero and maybe 35 years. Okay, somewhere in there. That depends on your parenting skills, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. See, our follow me. Our responsibility is not limited to the sphere of our current life. In order to master the weight, you got to recognize that what you carry goes beyond you. When that, when that happens, listen to me, church. When that happens, you start to think about money differently. You start to think about influence differently. You start to think about relationships differently. 
everything changes because now you realize one word to Sam could change his life forever. And guess what? That ripple effect could affect his kids, his kids' kids, his kids' kids' kids. Are you following me? Because God is always multi-generational. What he's doing in you is not just for you. It's not just for you. Let me, let me give you an example. Three years ago, three years ago, I was cleaning out my grandparents. Um, my grandmother passed away like eight years ago. They, they lived in Richmond. I moved my grandmother to Charlotte to take care of her, okay? You know, my dad was out of the picture, so my wife and I moved my grandmother, sold her house, sold everything, moved her to Charlotte, and she lived in an assisted living facility, a really nice one. We took care of her, visited her every day. She's, I love my grandma, Mimi. She, I, you've heard me talk about her all the time. She's in heaven now. She's sitting on the front row of my cheering section, the Troy Maxwell cheering. I'm her second favorite preacher. Okay, number one, Joel Osteen. Number two, Troy Maxwell. That's what she told me. And so when, she, when we moved her, we took a lot of her stuff and put it into storage. Well, three years ago, a bunch of the guys here at the church, we decided to go clear out the storage. And I came across this book. Now, I had seen this book when I was growing up. It was sitting on the coffee table in my house, in my grandmother's house, I'm sorry. And I remember opening it up like 12, 13 years old, and really all it is is a bunch of names and stuff in there. I really didn't pay much attention to it. But three years ago when I came across it, I realized, huh, this is the history of the Maxwell name. What I didn't know, I started actually reading the book from the beginning. It's way more than just names. Actually, it goes back and explains where we came from. You know I have a town in Scotland called Maxwellton, Scotland? We have some buses outside afterwards. We're going to go visit it. We've cleared your week. It's going to be great. I didn't know that. See, what happened in the early 17th century, 1700s, early 1700s, a guy by the name of Joel Maxwell loved Jesus, loved God with all his heart. And he heard about this country that was being formed because of freedom of worship. And he was in Scotland, and he was being suppressed by the, by the government, and he said, you know what, I'm gonna go to this new country because I wanna worship God freely. So at, in, in the early 1700s, he gets on a boat and goes all the way over to America. He has a kid by the name of Thomas Maxwell. That's my dad's name, that's my grandfather's name. Thomas Maxwell had a few brothers. Some of them went to Pennsylvania. Some of them went to New York. Thomas Maxwell went to Virginia. And guess what he became? He, he got involved in the church. Wasn't a pastor. He was a, he was a clerk in the Presbyterian church. This was pre-declaration of independence. Thomas Maxwell would preach the Bible. He preached the word of God so much that they arrested him. Put him in jail. Now back then, jails were in the middle of the city. So everybody could see who was arrested, who was put in jail. They called him Crooked Nose Maxwell because he would press his face against the bars of the prison and preach Jesus to people that were walking by. When Thomas Maxwell got freed from prison by Patrick Henry and Jonathan Adams, he started churches up and down the East Coast in Virginia, in South Carolina, in Georgia, but never in North Carolina. Until in 2002, his great, 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 great grandson, Troy Maxwell, 
got a call from God to go plant a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. You have no idea what you're carrying. You have no idea. You got to master the weight, but you also got to master the weight. Number three, write this down. You got to master the win. I'm almost done. You got to master the win. Elijah went up against 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, defeated them, ran faster than the fastest chariot. The Bible says the reason why he went up against those 850 prophets is because he made a challenge to their God. He said, "Whoever, whichever God shows up, he's the one that we're going to worship. Here's what it says in verse 38 of 1 Kings chapter 18. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Touchdown, win, goal, 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 whatever you want to say. This was huge. So we know what Elijah does. He goes in the woods and says, I want to kill myself. What in the world is going on? What are you doing, dude? Like you just, you should write a book. Go on CNN, Fox, MSNBC and talk about the great efforts of Elijah. You're famous, but he wants to kill himself. Why? Because one of the most difficult things for a Christian to do is manage success. It's difficult. It's challenging. See, character is often revealed in how a person reacts to success, especially the success of others. How do you handle your success? How does it affect you? Because here's what most Christians will do. When they succeed, they step back. And they take their foot off the gas of their relationship with God. They pull back. They get comfortable. Listen, comfortable Christianity is one of the worst enemies of a follower of Jesus. It's one of the worst enemies. The enemy, if the enemy can keep us comfortable, he can keep us ineffective. Everything's going good. I don't need to read the Bible today. I don't need to pray. I can just skip one day of church. One turns into two, two two turns into a month, a month turns into six months. You're married, you're going through problems, you have a couple kids. Next thing you know, you're 35 years old, you're on the edge of divorce, and you don't know what to do because you got comfortable. It's easy. It's easy to do. Comfortable Christianity looks like the world. Comfortable Christianity blends in. It doesn't stand off. So you got to learn how to manage. you got to master the win. Master the win. Why? Because our faith should create tension. Your faith walk should make some people mad because it makes them uncomfortable. It should make them upset. Especially Christians who are comfortable. <laughs> Your life should get under people's skin. Like, why are you being so radical? Like, you used to drink like everybody else did. How come you stopped? Well, you used to party. I mean, gosh, I mean, I knew how many girlfriends you had or how many boyfriends you had. How come you stopped? I mean, we used to get down together. I mean, we used to just, it was awesome. What happened to you? I started mastering the, the weight. I started mastering the weight, and I realized that I want to be better. I want to I be all that God has created me to be. I want to win. I, I want to I master the win. Our faith should make people uncomfortable. Our faith should make people think about their life. Okay, so number one, I got to master the weight, right? Everybody say the weight. 
I got to master the weight. Everybody say the weight. I got to master the win. Everybody say the win. Here's the last one, then I'm done. I got to master the wilderness. The wilderness, the wilderness. Israel turned an 11-day journey into a 40-year trip. Why? Because they couldn't get free from their Egypt. They couldn't get free. Here's what they said to Moses as they were just a few, probably just a few weeks out of Egypt. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? This is Exodus chapter 14. Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would be to die in the wilderness. Can you hear it in their voice? Man, remember the fish back there? Yeah, but you were slaves. I know. But you remember the cucumbers? Yeah, but you were slaves. I know. Do you remember all the bricks you had to make? Yeah, I know. But, you know, we did have leaks. Terrible excuses. See, the point is you can take someone out of Egypt, but it's really hard to get Egypt out of someone. Okay, okay, catch this now. Because this is why we have to go through the wilderness. The wilderness represents in our life the journey we have to go through, follow me, where something has to die before we get to that promised land. Remember, the promised land is not heaven. Okay, it's not heaven. It's heaven on earth doesn't mean you're not going to fight battles doesn't mean you're not going to face enemies it doesn't mean you're not going to have problems no 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 the wilderness is the point from your Egypt to your promised land that area of wandering that lasts how long does it last it lasts as long as you need to kill what's in you to get into the promised land Because Egypt, listen, Egypt can't go in the promised land. You you cannot take Egypt into your promised land. I know some of us today are in our wilderness. Different parts of our life have experienced promised land. Some, Some of you, you got the best marriage in the world, but your kids are jacked. And you're like, man, I'm in a wilderness. Are you following me? Some of you, your, your church life is fantastic, but your work life, whoo, wilderness. Some of you, your serve is on point, but your friendships, wilderness. Some of you, job is great, but your boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, wilderness why why and it's up to you it's up not up to me it's not up to God it's up to you do you want to go back to Egypt you want to live back there because Egypt is a metaphor of our past it's what we let go of in order to let God take hold of let me say it again it's 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 what we let go of in order to let God take hold of. It's letting go. So how long are you going to hold on to Egypt? That's how long your wilderness is going to be. And let me tell you, the wilderness is miserable. It's not a fun place. It's dry. It's quiet. Not a lot of action in the wilderness. A lot more action in the, in the promised land. 
I've been there. I'm there in a couple areas in my life. How to get out? Surrender. It's like what we sing about today. So why don't we do that today? Why don't we finish with saying, God, what in me needs to die? Here's how Jesus put it. Why don't you stand up on your feet and I'll read this verse to you. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Here's how Jesus put it. He said, when he called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whenever you see the cross referenced in the Bible, it's talking about something that we need to get rid of, that needs to die. Here's what we know about Jesus. Here's the gospel truth. The gospel truth is Jesus died his old life on the cross so he could experience a new life called resurrection. There's always, whenever, whatever you put on the cross, God resurrects better. That's, that's the hard part. Because in our mind, in our reasoning, we think, man, I'm gonna have to give this up. I'm gonna have to give up a life of drinking. I'm gonna have to give up a life of sex. I'm gonna have to give up a life of this. I'm gonna have to give up this. And we think, oh, what am I gonna miss out on? And God's going, it's called resurrection. It's called freedom. It's called joy and peace and happiness and contentment. But we're holding on to Egypt, man. Cucumbers, leeks, fish. Ultimately slavery. What do you need to let go of? Maybe it's time to stop wandering around in the wilderness. Would you close your eyes, bow your head. If you're here today, maybe even if you're watching online, and you say, I know I need to surrender something. I know I need to walk away from this. If that's you, maybe it's your old life. I want to walk away from it today. I want to start a brand new life. I want to walk away from some old patterns in my life and start a brand new way of life. I don't know what it looks like, God, but I trust you because I'll master the weight, the weight, the wind. And right now, I want to take a step into my wilderness, out of my wilderness. If that's you, just raise your hand. You say, that's me. I know, I know there's some stuff in me. Maybe one specific thing you know needs to die. Just raise your hand. Could you, if you raised your hand, could you do me a favor? Could you raise the other hand? Just as the, this is the universal sign of surrender. God, I give up. I can't do it on my own. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for their honesty. I thank you for the, the gift of God that's in them. God, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. Holy Spirit, you would comfort them, teach them, guide them. Do what you do. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill every person. Lead them out of their personal wilderness. If you raised both hands, why don't you just pray this out loud. Say it with me. Say, Heavenly Father. I trust you. Heavenly Father, I'm leaving my Egypt behind. I receive the promise of life, of hope, of joy, of peace. I receive your promises by faith. Thank you, God, that you've given me everything for life and complete devotion in Jesus name and everybody shouted amen come on give him some praise
tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.